Good morning, and welcome back to the Explicit Measures podcast with Seth and Mike. So, if you if you'd listened to our last episode, you you will notice um, Tommy had made some comments about Familia, uh, particularly his ma. Yeah. So, regrettably, I'm sorry. Oh. Tommy didn't make it uh, after after last after after the last episode. Uh, Tommy's gone. Just kidding. Yeah. You, uh, I'm just teasing everyone here. Don't mess with Italian mothers. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there. Oh, Tommy. oh, there he is. He is. He is here. I. I was. Uh... <laughs> that was hilarious. I didn't know you're gonna do that. Uh, just kidding. Uh, Tommy is here. It's all okay. Uh, for those of you who were, who were uh, listening, um, uh, I, I kept Tommy's video off for the intro of this one. So uh, uh, Tommy was uh, f- freaking out and and stuff like, "What's going on? I don't know what happened here." So. It's okay. Tommy's fine. Well, I may well double done. down. How many uh, Italian mothers does it take to uh, screw in a light bulb? Uh-oh. I don't know. Answer. Honey. Answer. No, don't worry about me. I just raised you. I've done everything for you, but you go off on your own. <laughs> That's I've done so much for you. So goodness. Right. So, me. so I, none. Cause, cause you do it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's amazing. So, uh, welcome back to the Explosive Measures podcast. Uh, everyone's here: Tommy, Seth, and Mike. Hello, everyone. Good morning. Uh, welcome back. Let's uh, let's talk about some uh, main topics. Tommy, you found some articles across the uh, the interwebs. Uh, you know, give us some information about what's uh, what are you looking here. I don't have any links for this, Tommy. Uh, yes, I'll put them in our private chat as well. But they should be in our little oh, got agenda. Now. Perfect. So we'll we'll start. There was a big conference in London. Yes. Um, I believe it was the last week. And uh, Sam DeBrun, who's been writing some awesome articles, who's actually where we're getting our, our topic today, went to it and was really talking about what the big takeaways w- are. And it's really in line with what Microsoft's been doing with Fabric and the Lake House. Delta. Um, all about Delta. Delta, Delta all <laughs> the way. Yes. Which has been good. So. Um, I'll throw this article in the chat window as well, just for people to kind of follow along, read along with it. Seems like a great article. I didn't have a, a lot of chance to read about it, but it looks like he's kind of really poking on uh, Microsoft has embraced the Delta format. So the Delta Lake or Delta Parquet format. Um, and there's a lot of other formats. Apache has their own Cootie format. Apache has another one for Iceberg. Seems very similar in nature. Uh, but a lot of these other tools like Snowflake are built on top of just a different format. Which so it seems like Delta is now becoming the uh, the single place where you're going to be able to build lake houses or store data into table form. A really good article worth a read through. Um, he's got some great diagrams in there. Really interesting architecture diagrams as well. So yeah, looks good. It's a neat article. I'll have to spend a little bit more time digesting and extracting out exactly what he's talking about there. There's another article, Tommy, that you found from Chris Webb, and we love Chris Webb. Chris Webb yes. uh, was a Microsoft MVP, but now has turned Microsoft employee. Uh, and he, everything he writes is very niche, but it's very good. And it's, it's very detailed what he's talking about. What's this article about that you found? So, you know, when you used to try to explain to uh, consumers about incremental refresh, it was like, oh, yeah, we can store the data. Like, so where does it live? I'm like, well... Don't you dare edit the data set or turn it off. It's kind of there, but it's also kind of not there in the data mm-hmm. set. Because it, with incremental reverse, it's kind of like a pseudo historical data. It didn't really live anywhere but the data set, but we had ability to look at you know previous records. Sure. Well, 
Chris Webb, and I don't know why anyone else has written this yet. It's like, well, you can do this in Fabric and actually now actually have the data and mm-hmm. have the tangible data, not hopefully no one deletes this data set or makes a big change and incremental refresh goes away. It's there for good in a database in uh, one lake. So it's just utilizing what Fabric already has. But now that data, we don't have to rely on Power BI incremental refresh. Yeah, I mean, and I definitely, I liked his, I liked his article here. And when you use a loading process, whether it's, you know, data flows or something else, um, they ha- there is this menu dialogue that appears. You can, you can load new data or you can append or you can replace this information, right? So how do you, how do you want to handle the new, whenever you run this process every day or whatever that is, what does that look like and how does that help you load the data? On one hand, I definitely like this article because this is another way of doing incremental refresh, right? So the idea being when I run my refresh, I have a specific day that I'm going to load data from, and then I will refresh that information. One thing that doesn't really handle itself very well with the new pattern inside lake houses is, and this is one thing I like about incremental refresh, incremental refresh will do a drop and replace on a small Mm -hmm. flow of data. And what Chris described here in Fabric doesn't technically do that. I mean, it just kind of always appends data into your into your lake house. So while I understand his comments in the article, I think that the the way that Microsoft is handling refreshing of data, there needs to be a bit more enhancements around, hey, these are the keys I care about. These are the partitions I care about. And allow me to, you know, in incremental refresh, you're always loading the last seven days, right? So if you miss some data, it automatically heals itself. There's no concept of that in this new fabric thing. So you have to do that in a notebook or somewhere else. So I, I like the article. I get his point, but I still think this new refreshing method is missing a couple features yeah. to make it more like incremental refresh. And maybe that's just me being picky about the process, but... And especially that... You were going to say, Tommy? Sorry, I, I think we had a bit of a delay. Um, the incremental refresh is still kind of a hack. It's only in Dataflows Gen 2, and it's not s- super straightforward. Yes. Even Microsoft's Fabric documentation is like, well, you have to add a filter and another query. It's not just necessarily an enabled feature. Yes, and that's and that's where I'm kind of like, uh, I, I wish it was a bit more automatic. You're talking about business users here that are trying to do data engineering activities. You're going to need to make it a bit easier for us to get around doing an incremental refresh in this new data flows gen two. So yes, it works. Yeah. Uh, I do like the fact that you now have the ability to write all the data down. So all the data lives in a storage mm-hmm. account, which is great. Um, I have found some weird weirdness around this as well. When you create a lot of Delta tables, and I'm, I'm still trying to discover if this is actually a bug or am I doing something wrong? As you make a Delta table, it stacks up files more, 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 more. And as you, uh, build that table of information, there's a two steps in SQL that you use to clean and make sure all the data is compacted correctly. You use a, f- a function called optimize and use a function called vacuum. Um, I think the optimize functions are working. I've done a couple of trials around using the vacuum statements to get rid of data out of my lake because you know it's beyond the number of days that it needs to hang on to the old partition. So I just need to delete those partitions, get rid of them. It's not removing the files from my lake. And my lake keeps growing in size and not shrinking. So I've got to figure out what what is it doing and is there a bug here? 
is something not right? Are we not actually removing these files when I'm trying to vacuum them out? So I have some more testing to do. I can't definitively say for sure uh, I'm doing something wrong yet, but maybe, maybe not. I'm not quite sure. So stay tuned. I'll have more updates as I figure out does their lake actually work. I mean, to be fair, it's only point what zero two three six cents per gigabyte. You know, so understand it. Well, so here, here's my demo that I tried. I was in Fabric. I turned on one of their, you know, try this demo around streaming through Fabric. I'm like, oh, cool. I'll click the little buttons, and it has this little try a sample data set. I'm like, neat. This is neat. Okay, wow. This is pretty fast. So within like I don't know three minutes, it's streaming data in. It's like here's. Here's stock amounts. Like here's all the different stock amounts. Every minute, it's streaming in. You know, every single stock in the Fortune 500 companies into a, a data set. I'm like, this is cool. I can watch the data kind of happen in real time. Well, you know, I thought it, that was neat, and then I walked away. And you know, a week and a half later, I came back and was like, I wonder what that thing's doing. Oh, it, oh, it's still on. Oh, oh my word, my table now is 35 gigabytes in size after like a week and a half of yeah, running this data. And I was like, oh my goodness. And nothing was nothing was optimized. I had fifty three thousand files, very small files in the lake, and it was trying to query those files. If I had to read the table, I was like, "Wow, okay, well, it, I can see that it was doing things not quite optimized yet." So I ran an optimized step. I was trying to clean up some lake house information. It's a good data set. I really like it. Yeah. It's just I don't know how to clean it up now. And aside from going back into the lake and physically saying delete this table and delete those partitions. It doesn't seem like the vacuum step is working. So anyways, there will be aha moments for people using Fabric in the same way that I did. You click on a couple of things. It's very mindful that especially everything in Azure, whenever you turn on a new service, monitor it for the next couple of days. Yeah, keep, keep your eye on it. Keep your eye on it and make it a point to not just start up a new process and walk away and not look at the costs or the size of the storage or how long things are running. Because if you see something that looks weird and abnormal you need to stop that thing right away and figure out what's going on i've had a number of times where people have done dumb things and you have to catch them and be like whoa 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 slow down i i think you uh i don't think you intended to make that money cost that much cost for this thing but you can catch it quickly and it, the problem sometimes goes away all right sorry that was michael on a very large soapbox here speaking from experience let's jump into our topic for today so we have an article today from um, the same gentleman who went to this uh, SQL conference, Sam DeBroom, I think. De DeBroom? How did you say it, Tommy? Uh, Sam DeBroom, I believe. That looks good. Sam. Sam made another article talking about welcome to the third generation SQL inside Microsoft Fabric. So good article. Um, kick us off, Tommy. Give us some main key points here. What's he talking about in this article, and why is this the third generation of SQL? So sure thing, Mike. So if you think back in the good old days of SQL, we were really with Teradata. We were with on-prem. SQL was not anything that any business user really knew. And even if you were to even go back to the 90s, I mean, from an analytics point of view, you were IT if you were touching any business database from trying to create it. There's no cloud option to just uh, spin up a SQL server or SQL database. You had to do it on your computer and obviously kind of going through access there. So, but that was at least the time where the Kimball published like the data warehouse toolkit. So we're getting to there. Second generation, we're introduced to the SQL data warehouse and I think it was 2010. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
Azure Synapse. And all of a sudden now these little more pipeline, a little more um, ways to kind of cleanse and train your data. Um, in, in SSIS, what is the, they're called jobs, right? Or in, mm -hmm. yeah. Yes. And kind of like just kind of taking that idea, but really pushing the next level, because obviously with the jobs, you would even need plugins or you use a lot of custom building. So mm -hmm. now everything lives in the cloud and also the spinning up of cloud servers. So still not uh, where we're at today, but obviously that's really the era that we're currently active in. Or the majority, I think, of organizations are active in. Mm -hmm. We're now entering this new generation. And I think we're probably, I really think we're just on the cusp of it of the Snowflake, the Synapse SQLs, uh, serverless uh, SQL pools. And then finally, the big drop Microsoft Fabric on that push away also from the conference as well. This push away from uh, SQL databases, SQL tables, SSMS to how do we actually control data through a data lake or a lake house? where that's come becoming more and more a de facto way to control or, or hold and manage your data. So Sam does a good job kind of in the beginning of the article saying, here's some, you know, too long, didn't read. I have a lot of article and notes here. And he does a really good job, I think, summarizing why he thinks Fabric is going to be the next best thing, right? Why, why was this the best consolidation of the Microsoft ecosystem. He has a couple bullet points here that I think I want to read through that make a lot of sense to me, right? SQL is part of this story, but, you know, Fabric gives us the ability, we can now have a, a data lake all stored in one area called One Lake. We don't have to copy data anymore. We can now provide links to data that already exists elsewhere in the lake house, which is very nice, or, or the One Lake area. Fabric now uses your open source Delta format, which, by the way, the SQL engine or the SQL service that you use in Fabric can go read this Delta format and go understand the tables that are there, which is awesome. Fabric decouples storage and compute. This is a story that's been happening a number of years now in enterprise data warehousing. Microsoft now, I think they've been doing it, honestly. They've been doing it with Fabric and I'm doing it with, uh, sorry, Synapse previously, but now Fabric is like the, moving this same design, the same technology over to to Power BI as well. Fabric can scale automatically. You don't have to start at zero. Fabric has a lake house. It's, it's a true lake house and it was built for the cloud's experience, which, yep, makes total sense. This was an interesting point he made. The cheapest pricing tier for Fabric is five times cheaper than running Synapse versus a dedicated SQL. That was an interesting point. I don't, I don't know if I have enough. Costs in Fabric have been a little bit elusive to me. Just because it's always in pre it's been in preview, I'm a little bit more hesitant to know exactly what things are going to cost me. Uh, I do know the costs of the Fabric SKU because I can see that in the Azure portal, but there's a storage account component that goes along with this that I haven't seen yet. I'm not sure how the billing of that's going to work in, in conjunction with Fabric as well. Um, and the last point here he kind of makes is uh, Fabric is expected to go live or general availability near the end of 2023, uh, and then there's, you know, you now have this great public preview that is free right now, which I've been really enjoying the public preview. Being able to play with a much larger fabric environment has been very helpful for me to get my head around how does this thing work and how can I use it? Any thoughts? Seth, you kind of come from the traditional SQL world. Have you had a chance to spend some time playing around inside fabric with SQL? Do you feel like this is a, a, a logical evolution of where, of where SQL lives inside fabric? Yeah, unfortunately, I haven't been able to stress test because uh, they haven't opened it up in the regions where I oh, want. Yeah. 
you have regions that yeah yeah like all my all my regions are not supported in fabric yet um so a little bit but i think i think the the biggest things that that sam brings up in this right are a lot of the underpinnings and technologies and infrastructures used underneath the sql engine mm -hmm. for quite some time even yes. into you know the multi-part parallel processing mpp and um mm -hmm. their efforts to use sql and its back end to start to handle larger and larger workloads and there the way i think about it is like there's two different kind two different parts of when people talk about sql the mm -hmm. sql interface is what everybody is used to right it, the sql syntax how you engage mm -hmm. with tables how do you create joins all of, all of that and that unified experience is one that i don't think people want to give up yeah what i don't think people care about <laughs> or at least the purists of dbas like obviously sure. do yeah. but there's a lot of infrastructure under here right mm -hmm. so if you if you think about as Tommy's talking about the history of SQL Server, like the machines that we had to stand up to yep. support anything of scale mm -hmm. were, were massively expensive, right? So it, it was it was a tool for the time mm -hmm. because company like it could handle anything that companies could build in their servers. And the more interesting and fun conversations are where you had these really large companies that would build these really large server firms and yep. then stretch the bounds of like memory and capacity and like sure. that's where you get into a lot of the the engineering aspects and storage and partitions and indexing and i think that's what he talks about it as well throughout this article is even in some of those solutions like getting things to work or be some know-how took took a lot of work yeah right and i think like in this net new world of okay the fabric ecosystem leveraging delta tables like everything we do in this ecosystem is stored the same way oh it's huge it's 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 built on a framework that is big data scales and you don't have to mess around as much you can tweak some things etc mm -hmm. but there there aren't a lot of those same type of conflicts related to creating and sustaining a back-end framework while everybody else is interacting with it. Now, purists of this are going to say like, oh, there absolutely is. There's a bunch of things we could do on the back end. Yes, there are. There are. I'm not sure. saying like everything on the back end just goes away. Yeah, yeah. Um, but from, from that perspective, like this is a, a whole new world. And he even calls out like, you know, ultimately like this Databricks, this is what it's been doing for, you know, many years. Yep. And I think the separation being like Databricks is, you know, is it that hardcore engineering tool and fabric is, you know, a different and unique experience, mm. you know, I think that's open for discussion. Um, but ultimately I think SQL landing in fabric in the way it has is really unique because um, it provides the interface. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's, it's got everything like an SSMS interface has quite yet, no. but if, like how it works and how it stores data is radically different. And I think that's that's the the big shift and the big win with, you know, leveraging SQL and Fabric. That was one of the reasons why I really enjoyed looking at Synapse. So, you know, I think I think of Fabric as an evolution of Synapse or, or you know, Synapse SQL was this initial build and then it, they moved it or they changed some of the bits and now they're able to run it inside Fabric or make this new thing for Fabric. I believe there's actually different engines here. He's, he talks a little bit later on 
um, taking away some of the confusion between what Fabric and Synapse SQL was doing. Because yeah. um, Synapse SQL is running on a MPP, Massive Parallel Processing, and it looks like um, the now current name of Synapse Warehouse, that would now part of Fabric, is running on a, a system called Polaris. And again, I'm not very up on my SQL side of things, but it seems like the engine is slightly different compared to what it was in the past. Regardless, though, I really like the experience of make tables of data using whatever system you want that are Delta formatted. The Synapse engine was very easy to go in and reach into um, a Delta table, read it, and support that read of information into Power BI. And so that's what I really liked about the, the Synapse space. I liked being able to write, run a pipeline. I like being able to read my data from the lake. I like to read my Delta tables. That made a lot of sense. It made the architecture very easy for me to build everything in Databricks, all the, all the Synapse tables I wanted or Delta tables I wanted, then go read them. And then I materialize them into views not materialized really, but it'd be to provide views inside Synapse and then Power BI can go read those views and load the data directly. So I really liked that pattern. And now that it's all built into Fabric, really interesting. I really I really like where this is going. Yeah. And I think above and beyond just the, the technology stacks completely separated now where you do have true storage into true compute, right? Mm -hmm. I think that was one of his big callouts of Synapse and that the older infrastructure and now fabric is you paid for the full capacity in Synapse. Like you paid mm -hmm. for everything and mm -hmm. the increments up were significant. And like reading through his article, it almost seems like you only got half the capacity. Like you'd have to buy a full, full swath and how it was Im implemented in terms of partitioning and indexing. Like you were consuming some of that capacity just with that infrastructure. Yes. Right. And if you think about like how, if, you know, we, we, if we even take like the, the, the storage component and I don't, I haven't like, I, I wonder how close you guys have done the analysis around the storage component, but like of Chris Webb's article where he's saying, Hey, we only mm -hmm. pay, you know, 0.23 cents per gigabyte in one lake yes. for storage coupled with compute. <laughs> and we know computes the big, the big cost driver, right? Yes. You know, driving up the, the capacity, et cetera, mm -hmm. but it's usage based. Yes. Right. Because mm -hmm. it, now on this framework, um, where you're storing in Delta Parquet, it's cheap. Yeah. <laughs> like massively cheap. So why pay for it? And I, like the fact that you don't have to now, and incrementally, you know, like you're you're storing terabytes of information for a hundred bucks a month or something. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. like it, it's just the massive amount of data that we can collect, store, and and then use. I think is is what's interesting. But if I wanted to read a terabyte of data, I'm going to pay for it, right? <laughs> exactly right. Yes. And and to that end around this whole storage compute layer, right? The, the speed of which I could innovate on top of these platforms is really what gets me, right? Mm -hmm. I can, I could, in a couple minutes, I can turn on a Databricks environment. I get a cluster. I get machines. I can configure what I want. I can read data. I can have the storage. Like in a couple minutes, I can have all the infrastructure I need that can scale up to tens of thousands of dollars to spend if I need to, to handle, you know, billions of rows and tables. Like that's instant almost. That compared to like having to procure a server and plan for it. And I hear a lot of people who, who particularly talk to me around like, this is this is when I tell when I can tell customers are coming from like a SQL world or they're running really things on prem. The question to me becomes, 
okay, let's build a lake house. How do we size it? I don't understand. What do you mean? How do you size it? Well, you know, how many transact, like what, tell us what size we should buy, what hardware should we buy or what should we turn on? That's like, we get the right size. And I'm, and immediately I go to, I think you have the wrong mindset of how this works because it's not a sizing problem. Yeah. Everything, and this is, and this is how I approach things in Azure. Everything in Azure is buy the smallest thing you can afford. Go to, go to the cheapest offering that Microsoft has. Start there. If you have a SQL server and you need to put a SQL server database up in, in Azure, start with the smallest option. Because if it doesn't work, it's literally a couple seconds of, well, let's just bump it up a level. Let's just, let's just turn it up. There's literally a dial that says spend more money and it yeah. will get better and faster. We and will, it will, we will help you do that real. <laughs> we will help. Yes. Right. So from that perspective, there is no trying larger size machines. I always build in the smallest environment that I can. And then if that doesn't work or if it's slow, I can monitor it. I can see where it's slow. Is it a, you know, for example, is it something in my process? Is it my, my ETL? Is there, is there something in my code that's slow? Or is it actually, I just need more compute to do the job. And so you have indicators that tell, this is cool because now I can innovate really, really fast. And I'm not focusing so much on the infrastructure. I think this is going to be a major change for a lot of data engineering teams that are more on-prem or traditionally focused. Well, it'll be interesting to see if the hype, like, I, I think, I mean, over the years, there was there was a definitely a cloud-averse mm-hmm. crowd. Agreed. Right? Like, yeah. and I don't, I haven't hit that in a while. Um, mm. You guys would Good hit point. it more often, right? Because you're consulting with other firms and, and things like that a lot. But um, it, it'd be interesting if people hadn't made the leap, whether or not Fabric is going to make that, like, because mm, it's supposed push. to be easier because you get all these things together. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a point that I was going to make, and it's interesting you went into it as well, is okay. it, you think about the the speed to yes. something. Yes. And if you've been in technology for a while, <laughs> for as, if you've been in technology long enough to lose your hair, <laughs> <laughs> um, like these were huge planning cycles. And I think to, for some companies, like you're mm-hmm. even saying, Mike, like still in a mindset where, yes. all right, well, we want to start this initiative. What size Databricks do I need to make this go? Well, we're, we're talking about one. it now, but we're we're going to start it next quarter, mm-hmm. right? Yes. And now it's like, well, you want to R and D something? Give me give me five minutes. Let me spool up this stuff and yeah. let's go. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You need a resource group. Fast. No problem. I, I can get. I think, it. Yeah, yeah, I think I think the 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 challenges around those are going to be like, oh man, how, how much is this going to cost me though? Right. Yes. And, correct. And the cost factor. Yes. So, so the transparency of that, I hope we find out, you know, pretty quickly here. Like, yeah. Like I said, I couldn't stress test and understand what those were in my environments, which mm-hmm. is disappointing, but Hey, hopefully I get the, the live thing soon. Um, but ultimately like joining all these things together, it's a huge story for you to say, Hey, you go into a customer and it's like, all right, you want to do this thing? All right, mm-hmm. give me a day. Yeah. Like, point me at the stuff, give yep. me a day, and then I'll show you this entire pipeline that I can build like that fast. I mean, yes. it might be ambitious, but. Well, <laughs> it depends just... on how much, depends on what you're doing. Some of this could be pretty quick. I mean, there's a lot of patterns you can develop now right. that are like, you know, and when there's and when this common pattern. Right, SQL yeah. is going to be the thing. Like, hey, watch yes. this, select, you know, join these two tables yep. together. And they would never know that it's not like a SQL storage engine table. It's the yes. okay. And, and that's, that's the beauty of this yes. is, is the interfaces that they've interwoven mm-hmm. and the underlying structure doesn't matter. 
to those interfaces. Yes. It's it's just the most optimal way to store data. Yeah. Well, here's the thing though that I'm worried about, especially with the cost thing. Just a friendly reminder, if you have a ton of fabric artifacts and you're getting very close to the October 1st date when um, cost actually turns on, correct? I don't know, oh. actually. So I, I keep saying, so it's almost October 1st right now. It's, uh, what is it? The, it's the 29th of uh, September, 28th of September right now. I still haven't, like, my, de my demo environment still says 29, 59 days until your trial is up. So I don't know what happens October 1st at this point. So I, I'm not sure how that works. Yeah, but that's just you do I. Well, it, did the did the free trial of of fabric also like conglomerate like your free pro license or like all the yeah, other free you know that'll be interesting too know. to see what that's doing i don't know yeah exactly yeah. exactly right <laughs> on that one what, what happened to power bi where's the power bi free <laughs> pro license <laughs> exactly yeah that will come back out <laughs> It'll pop so, back up in the fabric trial ends Maybe in an so. effort to be safe, I will be turning off. Luckily, I was at least organized all fabric items in the fabric workspaces and didn't try to, let's say, cross-contaminate. So I will be deleting all my fabric workspaces at least before October 1st, just because I've made that mistake once with Azure. But, yes. Okay, yeah. And I like I would agree, especially if you're using volumes. But how, how much data do you actually have? Like, do you have processes running? Like, are you using I compute see. daily? Yeah, I, I've been trying uh, uh, the one lake. I've been doing a SQL database using. So data I would say, like, too. turn off the automated things if you don't understand like what the costs are yeah. going to be around those. But unless you have massive amounts of data, it's pennies on the dollar, dude. Like, oh, what Tommy's been doing? Tommy's been streaming things in from all over the place. Oh. He's been no, I'm just, I'm just kidding. Well, I don't know what Tommy's turning off. It's been it's been busy. Well, we've been busy. Let me put it that way. So Jack in the chat asks a great question. Is fabric cheapening our worth to our organizations, right? We have these these teams of people that have been traditionally work focusing on SQL and data engineering and making tables and making sure that data is consistent and ready to go. Mm. I, I think this is a great question because I don't think this the fabric ecosystem is cheapening what we do. Rather, it's causing us to shift in the same way we were shifting. So previously, I think we were focusing a lot more on architecture, the infrastructure, the hardware, the, the physical machines, and what data had to go on them. In addition to what data engineering did you have to do to get the data onto those machines? I feel like what Fabric is doing is it's allowing us to focus less on the infrastructure portion. Microsoft is just going to handle it. They're going to bolt it all together. They're going to handle the virtual network. It's going to all live in Fabric. It's all going to be this nice, easy to communicate ecosystem where tables can come in you can build what you need to build and share data easily so i think i think the the uh, the need for us to actually do the data engineering potentially you could lift that off to the business a bit more you could give more responsibility to other people in the organization it's not going to rest all on the shoulders of it now i think there's going to be a um an opportunity for businesses and it's to continue to partner together further about what they want to build now where I think our, our value is more needed than ever is how do you organize the data? In the same way Power BI made reports a commodity, there's now many more reports all over the ecosystem. There's going to be a lot more data things all over the ecosystem. So what is, what is good data? What is certified? How do I use these other tools to help me build 
better things uh, or better, you know, better. Um, how do you, what am I trying to get here, Seth? It's, it's the, it's the idea of the management and governance is becoming more and more important now than the infrastructure. Well, actually in all, in all reality, think about that. Like management governance has always been, I, I don't think it's become more important. I think That's true. everybody wanted it and you just, it, it takes mm. a, it's, it's a longer road to get there. If we can get there faster, because we have these new efficiencies, whether it's, you know, because we've consolidated all this stuff under fabric and it's all stored in the same way, or is it the enhancements of AI, right? Where we talk about, um, we, we just had a podcast on Javen's paradox, right? Efficiencies. Yes. Like I think we've been yeah. thinking in terms of being obsolete, but I think what's happening is we're like, things like fabric are allowing or will allow people to be become much more efficient at some of the things that were just blockers to where we wanted to be spending our time anyway. Mm -hmm. Right. Like I have to deal with data infrastructure. Business doesn't care about what's the business value behind that. Right. The business value is behind, like we collected all this data. We now have these insights because we ran it through all these ETL processes. We cleaned it, we cleansed it and we produced value to the business and they're making decisions based off it. Indexing storage, like, do they care about the cost of how much it, you know, it takes to get to that point? Of course they do. But how the, how engineers go about doing that, the code that has to be written, they could care less, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's our job and we don't have to deal with infrastructure as much or we don't need the people to deal with infrastructure, great, cost savings. If yeah. all of a sudden our coding gets better because we have SQL in Fabric now, we have, you know... Um, the, the notebook experience in fabric now like so you can interact in in the ways that are best for you to become more efficient the your efficiencies increase like we're we're hung up on uh and this just happens this happens regularly on teams you get hung up on logic i i don't i don't know how to write this thing i don't know the function i don't know how to create the dax calculation i don't know like how how long does it take you to solve that technical problem that in the future could be like, I know I want to do this. And one minute later you have your answer and you can move on. Yeah. Your efficiencies of trying to develop solutions to get to a point of where you want to see the data. Yes. I think uh, all of a sudden allows us to spend a lot more time solving data related business problems or producing valuable artifacts that the business can use as opposed to where we're now we are now where we talk about the technical challenges mm -hmm. all the time so this this i think just reduces or you know the barrier of entry but also allows for um a wider audience to then engage because that level isn't so high but that doesn't mean you as a practitioner right now don't have vast volumes of insight because frankly it's second nature to us data and how it relates and how we can bring things together because of systems we've been working in, that concept is so lost for mo most business users. They don't know mm -hmm. how to do that. Yeah, that's true. So fundamentally, just working in data in these systems the way that you have, you're not obsolete. You're the most valuable. You're just become the more valuable people in the organization, I think. <laughs> that's how I see it. The funny thing here is, um, you know, Mark says in the comments, uh, but but does it connect to Excel? Can I, st can I still connect yeah, as, uh, Excel does, to it? Though. But that's one of the things Sam points out, right? <laughs> that's exactly like, right. table on this stuff, right? That's right. And, 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 but that's funny to me because this, this is what makes me laugh. I think about this and go, wow, we have all these, you know, we have this modern technology. It's, it's fabric. It's Delta. All these cool things. Business users, 
Yeah, but but I need it in Excel. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but I need. Can I get a table of this? <laughs> it just makes me laugh. So, uh, I I like the. Uh, so I right now I feel like the the main tools that I really love to work in are you know this whole DataBricks. So the, the Lake House or the modern you know Lake House, whatever you want to modern data warehouse, whatever you want to call it. I really like the tools of DataBricks and Power. Like DataBricks is awesome. The data, the engineering experience there is incredible from a data engineering perspective. I just enjoy jumping into notebooks and building things in that environment. It's just so cool. So the fact that Microsoft is trying to take some some lessons from them and incorporate some of that into Fabric, good on them. It still needs a lot of love. It's still not quite there from a from an engineering perspective, but they're getting there. The concept is is getting better. Power BI is amazing. The fact that I can model data, it's it, it has changed fundamentally how I think about information. Like it has changed my entire mindset. And when I talk to people or newer people around Power BI and what it's doing and how you model data, there's there's still some heads turning trying to figure out like, wait, we need to grab all the granular data and load all. Yeah, we do. Mm-hmm. And so it's 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 fundamentally changing how people I think still are trying to understand. How do you build a data model? And I, it's funny when you do this for a while, you start looking at data models and, and you can start seeing potential problems as you work with customers or team members around, oh, here's my model. Okay, I'm looking at this model, just looking at the tables and the graphs and how things relate. Let's make sure there's no measures here in this in this table because that's that's not a place where you'd want to put a measure. I think things might be weird. And literally, you know, a conversation later on, like a week later, you're like, this measure won't work. Well, I told you, don't put the measure there because... <laughs> The way you built your relationships, this measure will not be able to calculate based on this other dimension that you supply. So like you start seeing what happens here. And sometimes I feel like I'm talking cuckoo because I'm seeing so far down the road. This There's very much implications as to how you need to calculate this thing. And uh, it, the impact of the visuals and what you're filtering really has a huge effect on how you design and build the data model. And so there's this really interesting integration. If you understand how all this works, you can see patterns really far in advance that you can, you know, use inside Power BI, which I think is really cool. And then the other one I'll I'll note here, every business I walk into, everyone, everyone I talk to, every time I talk to someone who's doing Power or Power BI, they're like, I was just given this Excel sheet and it's unwieldy. There's so much in it. And... I think this is going to get worse, honestly, with the with the addition of Python inside Excel. Now, now you have to be an Excel user and a Python user to, to be able to unwind these Excel documents. It's going to get it's going to get oh. nuts. I was just I, I had an epiphany the other day, right? Someone gave me an Excel file. It, that Excel file is doing multiple things across multiple teams, right? We have multiple people playing on different. Okay, I have another Excel file that's aggregating all these sub Excel files into a file into a larger aggregation. You know, well, cool. Uh, that's, what happens? Yeah, but what listen. happens when I have to look at Python inside Excel now? What happens if they, when they build entire solutions, data warehouse databases, basically? What happens when the build, business builds databases in Excel using Python pieces? And I got to go and wind that file now. I this has changed how I need to know what I need to know in order to work with Excel a bit more now. Sorry, I you're going to say something, Seth? No, it's just interesting to me that like you going down that well refreshing my memory of rabbit holes of 
crazy VBA code and yeah. like, all the things that are going yes. on in Excel. Plus, then you throw on Python. Like add Python to that now. It, it, well, it kind of it kind of throws a different spin on for some business business users. Is Fabric too difficult? Because if I wanted to unwind that Excel file, I have Python. Mm -hmm. Like I have connections. That's ADF. I yep. can use Python in my notebooks. Yes. I can like it's just a pipeline. Correct. Except it's reusable and repeatable, and I can share it with people outside of an Excel file. I right. Agreed. Like it, it brought to mind like this really interesting idea of like, oh, okay, well, like, but Excel how complex that process, and it is. It's a business yeah. process. Yes. Creating an Excel file. Yes could be ripped out and automated into a pipeline that could be Correct. leverage for the business, actually. That's mm -hmm. I mean, you're making a lot of faces, but do you have things to say? No, I, and I, no, 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 no. So like, I'm, I'm listening and I'm trying to digest because, yes, all these things are amazing. And again, I think it's really hard for us, and especially the three of us, as much as we try to get out of the lens that like kind of like we see the world and what we think is best and also just the, the level of knowledge that we have. We'll never, no matter how much we try, understand a business user who's just starting with data. Forget just Power BI anymore because we're so past that. We've talked about, we think in data. We, you know, mm -hmm. we know models like the back of our hands. So you're, we, you've seen this too, just trying to get people introduced to Power BI consuming it and the interaction with it and now we're t saying for the power users yeah you have all this control over your data and there's all these ways you can connect to things and i know a lot of it departments are still so concerned about just the data in their reports and looking at the, at that a different way mm -hmm. i you know if this is the way we're going that's fine to me this is still the majority of fabric is still i think on the data engineering side um, I've been 100%. using notebook and like, and I, I think there's maybe like maybe some of the data flows where they can spin up their own, uh, one lake to push the, like, you know, their business led data into, and then they can, you know, connect to that and other sources, you obviously yes. use power BI, yep. but it's more to me rather than for the business, at least for the, the normal, you know, uh, uh, power user who's, uh, kind of in that middle stage, it's less of a complete data engineer change than a level up from data flows where what data flows did for the business fabric for them is going to be a, an upgrade from that, but nothing, yes. I don't think it's going to be anything more. Well, I've always said this, but I've said this multiple times. I think fabric is a better deal for the business user and not as good of a deal from the data engineer or the data scientist level. Right. Cause when I look at, if I think about hardcore companies that are already in cloud, already building pipelines, already doing modern data warehouse things, they've been using Azure Data Factory already for maybe years. They've been building their own lakes in whatever tool they want. Maybe it's a Snowflake, maybe it's Databricks, right? They've already been engineering the data somewhere else with other tools. Those tools are refined for 10 years. And here comes Fabric one year out. And again, Microsoft has been able to watch and learn now, what does Microsoft usually do with tools, right? Microsoft's usually not first to market, but when they come in, they usually come in and make it cheaper than everyone else. So you typically see a Microsoft. So what you may see is you may see a very price sensitive market that they will entice people to move over to things of fabric or things that are Microsoft, more Microsoft centric based purely on Microsoft 
we're going to build things more efficiently. So to do the same workload, you'll be able to do it faster with less cost. And I think, I think that will be for me, right. As an engineer of data engineer already, that's what Microsoft needs to lead with. They need to entice people to come to their platform and do so betting on the speed and price. It's faster and cheaper to run. That's I think where you're really going to get people to start widely adopting. If you're already in the cloud, there's another point to your another comment, Tommy, to your point here is if I'm an on-prem company, Power BI has been likely the first thing you've ever done in cloud or SharePoint is like, so when companies start moving away from SharePoint on-prem and start moving to the cloud, there's this whole hesitation around, well, I don't want my data in the cloud. I don't want to, I remember Seth and I, we, we would go into conversations about this when we were consultants. We were like, that was a, that was a real thing. People were like, I don't, I don't want it in the cloud. It's not, how do I know it's secure? How do I know it's not, how does it get leaked or not leaked? Dude, you already have your SharePoint in cloud. Well, it's SharePoint, but you've already accepted that that's a part of the cloud infrastructure, right? Your active directory is now already in cloud. Why is it that much mm -hmm. harder for you to leap forward and say, let's use Power BI? And I think for a lot of businesses, they made that jump. They allowed Power BI to come into their ecosystem and they're like, well, cloud isn't that bad. I get reports. I can, I have, I can upload what I want. I have almost unlimited scale at a pro user. If I'm below one gigabyte in size and files, Hmm, this is not that bad. So I think, I think Power BI has been this gateway to a lot of other companies being comfortable or getting more comfortable with working in cloud and moving there. Well, I mean, I mean the other part of that too, in, in that conversation, I think is, is many, many companies realized that when people were pushing around Power BI, that there was this argument, well, data security. And, and I guarantee you every company we went into, we would, we would be able to say, um, okay, so when's the last time you talked to your business units? Are you monitoring people sending Excel files out, out the door? Because yeah. they yeah. are, and it's company mm -hmm. data. And did you know that? They're, they're doing that already. You have yes. holes throughout all this. At least I'm deploying to an, a safe environment that's secured. And monitored. If Logging people, on it. If people export a report and send it, what's I the know. difference between that and Excel and them giving data out, right? Like there is no difference. Yeah. I think what's interesting to me is it, as these tools evolve, and I just kind of want to circle back a little bit from the data engineering, fabric being the data engineering side. Sure. Is I agree with that now. But I think there's a correlation where like we're it's a new environment. We're trying to digest it as quickly as possible. And I think there's going to be new patterns where you engage your heavy Excel user into the fabric patterns. But I, I guess and, and the reason I say that is because I think long term, if Copilot goes alongside this stuff, it's going to be very easy, much easier to integrate and build the data objects that we need to, the process flows, et cetera. Um what is your guys' take, though? Because to Tommy, to your point, you said like a data flows. There's also power query paths. Like, mm -hmm. is the evolution of how we engage and automate business processes, typically through Excel, is it is it going to be fabric, fabric pipelines so that we get it into Delta Pay tables right away? Or are you guys going to stick with the, like just the automation in Power BI right now with Power Query or potentially data flows? Yeah, this is going to be interesting to see where this is going to start with. I my opinion here is, I think Power BI. I think the Power BI user market is going to start with what they know. And honestly, how I started looking at Fabric was, mm -hmm. I understand data flows. It was a nice, easy UI. I'll start there. 
So for me, I really liked going into Fabric with a business kind of mindset and say, oh, I'll just figure out how Dataflow Gen 2 works. Oh, wow, this is very similar. Oh, cool. I can just write things down to my lake. Hmm, interesting. So for me, there was a lot of friction that came, uh, that was removed by, they provided me in Fabric a lot of business-related tools that I'm very comfortable with. What I think this is going to do, it's going to allow people to say, okay, that wasn't that bad. What else should I learn? Hmm, there's these pipeline things. What could I, how hard is that? Okay, that's not bad. I can build a couple blocks of data. Now, it may not be very efficient day one, but I think people are going to start. So what I think it's going to be, from my perspective, business users are going to start down a journey of being able to learn more of these traditional data engineering tools and we'll be incorporating them more and more into yeah. their workflows. Yeah, and I'm I, I'm not talking in every Excel user here. Right? Sure. Like, because we've we've talked several, I think there's gonna be challenges with all of business adopting or where do you where what workspaces or pipelines do you allow them to get into, et cetera. But I'm talking about the folks that when you go in and you solve a big automation problem, right? Mm -hmm. Or you mm -hmm. you buy you win back a ton of time for a company because there's this manual slash hack together Excel file that person knows a lot. They know more code than they think they do, right? Then you throw in Python and what's the evolution of those users and analysts within Excel. And that's the user I'm talking about. This is a smaller yeah. subset. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like the engagement for consultants around companies that want to buy back time, getting rid of those like Excel automated processes into workflows for Power BI for reuse I think there's a better story here long-term where there could be correlations between these types of, hey, you're doing Python. Okay, here, let me show you. We're going to do that here. Here's how and why. Because all the current solutions, and one of the things that Fabric to me is like really compelling from a long-term story and strategy perspective, resolves that problem where Power BI, data flows, data sets, like all these things are still silos of data. Right, I can't easily reuse them in in the ways that I I want to for everything. I can connect mm -hmm. them, right? But then I also have this spider web of interwoven, interconnected things that are like this relates to this relates to this, and this is supporting that, and blah blah blah. Mm -hmm. Whereas Fabric is this ecosystem that I think produces a different sort of unified data set on the back end, where all of all of these tools connect to from source systems. So are there dependencies? Mm -hmm. Sure, but you're not creating this like interwoven connect to A, B, B connects to C, D, E, F, that just explodes, explodes, explodes. Yes. Um, because that's the world we live in right now. Sure. So like bringing it back full circle, that's also one of the main reasons why I think it's really important that you have this SQL interface because that's going to be from a introduction standpoint one of the easiest paths to bring people into fabric because it's going to be as long as that framework gets better and is more consistent with how they utilize sql and if they can write their queries then and they don't care about where it's stored or how it's stored just like they never have before you know before today anyway they're trying to extract data in the most efficient way possible and that can be done you know on a on a ecosystem that is much more robust um, in terms of not sharding and pushing data into different systems and, you know, having to consolidate it and pull it together, et cetera, et cetera. One of the gaps I still think I see here, especially from the, when I think about like the Excel user and what Fabric and or Power BI is doing, one of them, and I'll wrap on this, this comment here, I still think there's a gap around, I'm an Excel user, 
I'm going to enter in data in a portion of an Excel file, and then on a cell by cell, row by row basis, I'm producing calculations that I need to quickly adjust and or modify. Yes, there's Excel. Excel's great for doing data engineering inside the context like of a table or tables that are local to a, an Excel file. I don't see anywhere where Fabric or Power BI is making that easier for us at this point. There's still a gap there around, I'm a user, I want to edit multiple cells of data in a table quickly and get results immediately mm -hmm. calculated. So yeah. we don't. Oh, so what you're saying is Fabric is missing the Excel interaction. Exactly. They didn't. Ah, see it in there. Hey, they're there missing you go. that. There you go. Maybe maybe Where data. Ninety percent of the work would be done. <laughs> right. Maybe maybe data that activator. Great idea, dude. Maybe data activator will give us some more of those. Things. But I mean, right. with Excel online, you have some really cool potentials and possibilities there. Maybe we can do some more things with this. Maybe this is where this is going. I'm not sure. So, yeah, we'll see. I think there's. I don't want to discredit all the ama amazing work and what people have done in Excel. I think it's incredible. And, and there's so much, ex literally Excel runs the world. I've seen many very large companies make incredible decisions based on things that come out of Excel. That's terrifying. Maybe, or maybe not. I don't know. Like, yeah, probably. Name, name one time you walked into one of those processes where when in that discovery, there was an, uh, oh, oh, that, that shouldn't be doing that. Oh, but okay. but um, the, the business process, the, the amount of effort has been spent on working and massaging the Excel file is incredible. So there's very smart people building these kind of systems to, to have things run. And, and the large, I think you'd be shocked if you looked at like the Fortune 500 companies, which, which executive reports are getting rolled to the very top of that company. There's probably a lot of Excel files that are getting rolled to those executives and, and decisions are being made on those, those Excel files. So you know, how do you integrate that level of like sophist like sophistication, thought, process, design into all the stuff that is fabric? How do you make all of this stuff just work together in a very seamless way? I think we'll get there, but um, it's a very interesting concept to think about. Anyways, uh, with that, I think we're just about at time. Let's go ahead and wrap the episode. This has been a good episode. We started a little bit early today just because uh, we had some engagements early this morning, so we had to get started. So if you're just joining us right now, Go back and watch the beginning of the episode. You should be able to start from the very beginning and catch up on two times speed. Thank you all for watching and listening to the episode. We really appreciate uh, the community here. It's wonderful. Thank you so much. Our only ask is if you like this episode, if you liked what we were talking about, please go out and share it somewhere online or share it with someone, a coworker, let someone else know that you've been listening to the Explicit Measures podcast. And it's good. It's uh, you're, you're taking that run, that drive into work that's just so long, uh, walking from your top uh, part of your house to the bottom if you need a you know a two-hour walk to get to your basement like i do um maybe you want to listen to the podcast so uh just kidding i don't have a two-hour walk it's literally like five seconds to get from upstairs to downstairs to work so anyways uh that was a joke tommy where else can you find the podcast you can find the podcast anywhere you get your podcast apple spotify um make sure to subscribe it helps us out a ton have a, do you have a question, idea, or topic that you want us to talk about in a future episode? Head over to Power BI Tips slash podcast, leave your name and a great question. And finally, join us live every Tuesday and Thursday, usually 7.30 a.m. Central, sometimes 7 a.m. And join the conversation on all Power BI Tips social media channels. Thank you all so much, and we'll see you next time.